talk about uh, this anniversary as we celebrate, celebrate Valentine's Day today. I don't know what that looks like for you um, all the way across the board. I think everyone has a different opinion on Valentine's Day. How do you do it? Why do you do it? Why do you not do it? Um, but really, we're talking about relationships. And anytime we talk about relationships, and I think even with Valentine's Day, it's not just the romance or the intimacy of relationships that get celebrated. I think we also have to look at the other dynamics of really what we're celebrating. And oftentimes when we're in a position to celebrate something like Valentine's Day, it's because there's been commitment to something. It's because people have chosen to sacrifice in ways. And ultimately, I get reminded on Valentine's Day how hard relationships are, especially those that are, um, you know, dating, marriage, whatever that looks like. But really, we're talking about relationships, and relationships are hard because relationships take commitment. So as you, as you just look out today, as you look at this video about the anniversary, as you look at whatever, you know, uh, Valentine's Day is for you, how are your relationships going? Because ultimately, if we look at how our life is going, they are, it's intricately attached to how our relationships are going and vice versa. What relationships may you want to be better? What relationships do you feel like you just want some change? There's a, a Jewish philosopher who uh, took the ways in which we operate as people and he said, relationally, we operate out of two categories. One is an I-it category, and one is an I-thou category. And the difference is if we're seeing people as objects or if we're seeing people as people. And when relationships get hard, I think there's an ebb and a flow to this. When things are good, it's very easy to see other people as people. We love them. We enjoy spending time with them. We want to encourage them. When things get hard... We want to see them as objects that are no longer meeting our needs. We may want to back out of relationships. We may not want to try hard anymore. And sometimes just decide that it's maybe not worth it anymore. So if you paused for a moment and if you just took a quick analysis of the relationships that you've committed to, how are they going? What's a relationship that comes to mind that you desire some change? You don't feel like it's going that well, and you want it to be better. Now, the good news and the bad news is that this is an age-old problem. Navigating the, this, these, the, 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 the I-it and the I-thou, seeing people as objects, seeing people as people, it's been around forever, and it continues to be around today. But I do believe Jesus has some insight for us on how to navigate this and how to continue pursuing flourishing relationships that are better for everyone. So we're going to be in the book of Mark, chapter 10, verses 1 to 9. We're continuing in our Open Secrets uh, sermon series where we're looking at some of the public teachings that don't get much airtime. These are, these are challenging teachings that confront us in a lot of ways and oftentimes aren't easy to hear or easy to follow. So as you listen this morning, may your ears be open with grace um, and I just pray that the Spirit is, is coming around and comforting and confronting all at the same time. So Mark 10, 1 to 9. Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him, and as was his custom, he taught them. 
some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you? He replied. They said Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law. Jesus replied, but at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Obviously, if you've been to a wedding, you have heard the end of this passage. But for this morning... I don't want to go down the direction of is divorce okay or not, or what are the intricacies about this? Because as I sat with this passage this week, what struck me the most is that as the religious leaders came to Jesus to try and, um, to try and test him about the intricacies of divorce, Jesus takes it a step further and he actually tests their hearts. He says, because your hearts were hard, that Moses wrote you this law. And then he goes on and he quotes like three verses out of the creation account. Genesis 1 and 2, all the way to the beginning. And you can remember Adam and Eve. And what, what, what does that have to do anything? Why does he do that? Now, if you think back to the, the, the creation account, there is a continual uh, refrain that God uses after he creates something. Can you think of it? He creates the land and the sea, and it was good. He creates plants and trees and they produce and it was good. He creates mankind in his own image and it was good. It is good. God creates Eden. He creates the purpose atmosphere for him to be in relation with his creation, the way that life was meant to be, the, life, the way that life was to be with him and in him. And then this odd sentence pops up in Genesis 2 verse 18. And in this perfect world that God is creating, all of a sudden there's this sentence that said, it is not good. So it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then it's not good. But what's not good? It goes on to say that it is not good to be alone. It is not good for human and mankind to be without relationship. For centuries, theologians have coined that we have a God-shaped hole in our hearts. And no matter of sex or popularity or success or money, no matter how much we gain in those things, we can never truly fill that hole like God can. Our deepest longings and desires can only be met by a relationship with our Creator. One we tend to, I think, consider less often is that our deepest longings to be met aren't just vertical in a relationship, they're also horizontal. And we also have a people-shaped hole in our hearts that only in relationship can other people meet that need and fill the void. Does Jesus speak about marriage and divorce here? Yes, 110%. By quoting Genesis, does he talk about more than just marriage and divorce here? Yes, I believe that he does. See, it says that, that God put Adam into a deep sleep. He pulls out a rib. It, Eve comes along outside or out of Adam's rib. And he wakes up and he says, whoa, man, woman, Bible jokes. 
Hannah's not laughing, so none of you are probably laughing either. Um, but see, you and I, we were created to have intimate relationships with God. There's no question here. When all things are right, we're supposed to have a personal, deep, intimate life with God. No shame, no fear, no pain. You and I were also designed to have deep, intimate, personal lives with others. See, Eve here is actually truly representing the rest of humankind. You and I were meant to be connected to others, plural, deeply and intimately. So a simple question, how is that going for you? How are your relationships that you have committed to, whether born in or bought in, how are those going right now? See, most Jews in Jesus' time took a man's right to divorce a woman for granted, as women could not divorce their husbands. You go all the way back to Deuteronomy, and it says, uh, it declares that if a man finds something objectionable about his wife, he can write a certificate of divorce, put it in her hand, and send her on her way. There were a few other rabbis whose teachings Jews would have also been following at the time of Jesus. Rabbi Shammai said that something objectionable could only be sexual misconduct. Rabbi Hillel also or allowed for divorce even if she spoiled cooking a dish for him. Rabbi Akiba permitted it even if he found another more beautiful than she is. You see, when it comes to the topic of divorce, there have always been multiple interpretations and cultural practices. Jesus, in his teachings, was opposing an I-it way of relating to others as objects. Here, specifically, a social system that treated wives and children as men's property. If we're to be open to this passage and what it might have for each of us, I think we should all be confronted by how we handle our own relationships, not just in regard to marriage, not just in regard to divorce. See, as this divorce certificate was an easy way out for when they didn't like something, when they weren't getting their way, when it wasn't benefiting them as they hoped. In what ways do you withdraw or back out of relationships? When do you make it about you and what you are or are not getting from others? The Arbinger Institute wrote an incredible book that I worked through a few months ago called The Anatomy of Peace. And the premise here, like uh, the philosopher's I, it, or I, thou, uh, ways of being, we have a choice in how we show up in our relationships. And the two ways is, one, we're going to show up in a, with a heart of war that treats other people like objects, or we're going to show up with a heart of peace that treats other people like people, treats other people how God created them in his image, to be in relation with each other. So before you go too far down the trail of all the other people that uh, are seeing other people as objects and abusing that, and I just want us to first think about how we might see other people as objects. Because I think we objectify people when we actually turn them into something that just meets our needs, our wants, our desires, and our plans without actually conceding to their wants, their desires, their plans. And if they aren't doing it for us, we drop the relationship with them. 
I do want to say on the topic of just relationships and divorce, this is not me making like definitive 100% all the time, this is the way it is uh, type of statements because I think there's a lot of situations where we don't need to keep pushing into a relationship. When there's just abuse and, and hate and betrayal. And I mean, there's so many things that, that people feel guilt, like, like they need to stay in relationships when it is horrible for them. So this is not an encouragement in these harmful situations that you need to stay or you need to continue to press in. I believe there's plenty of ways where we need to stop and pull out. Like, I want us to hear that this morning. I do think that if we're open to what Jesus is talking about and what he's saying to all of us, is it's actually asking us to consider, are we open to a God who pursues us at all lengths? And in that lens, how do you view your connection with others? So we're going to put some slides on the screen. So in the anatomy of peace, they define uh, four ways in which we tend to show up. When we operate in an I-it way of being relationally, where we treat other people as objects, we find ourselves in different boxes. Uh, Hannah's going to put a slide on the screen right now. technical issue. Um, if you want real quick, you can add that existing audio into each slide. So that way when they see it. So Hannah's going to put those up in a second. Uh, I think she'll be able to like just do the first one and then work on the other ones as she goes while it's up on the screen. Um, but there's going to be four ways of being. And ultimately what we're doing is we're actually putting ourselves in a box relate to other people. And again, it treats them like objects. And there's two ways in which we put ourselves above other people. And there's two ways in which we actually put ourselves below other people, but not in a good way. Um, is, that, is that working now? If you put that slide up, does it have audio to it? Oh, got it. Okay. Um, well, we're going to send out the slides. We're going to figure out something else later. But I just want to use you to hear some of these things. There's four ways. Better than, I deserve, worse than, need to be seen as. Better than, I deserve, worse than, need to be seen as. And I just want you to hear some of the feelings that, ha that happens inside of us when we step into these boxes against other people. Impatient, disdainful, we, we feel mistreated, we're depressed or envious, we're anxious or we're stressed. See, when, when I position myself that I am better than someone else, I become indifferent towards them. Or maybe when I think I need to be seen as something particular, I feel overwhelmed and stressed. And not one of these sounds like it's going to contribute to a healthy relationship. These are not positive attributes that make other people want to be in a relation with us. Can I go up and pull up this next slide and then just come back to me after like five seconds so they can see it? This is our better than box. So Hannah will end up dropping those in the chat and you can see them. Um, but our better than box, if you caught a short, quick glimpse of that, what ends up happening here is that I have a view of myself that is superior to other people. 
I start to view others as inferior. I then have these feelings again of being indifferent or disdainful, and my worldview becomes competitive and troubled, and that the world needs me. This one is actually most popular with neighbors and strangers. It's the people that we hold at a distance and we put ourselves above based on just outward appearance and outward interactions, and we have no idea what's going on inside their life. But we go to war with them because we feel better than. So let's go ahead and put up the I deserve. You want to guess where this one shows up the most based on results is in marriage. What ends up happening is I feel like I deserve certain things and I am underappreciated. I start to view my spouse as ungrateful for who I am. And then I become entitled. I become resentful. And then my worldview comes that everything is unfair. People owe me more than they actually do. So even just off of these first two boxes, are there any relationships that are coming to mind for you right now? Let's do two more in way of closing. Let's go to our worse than box. I think I'm reminded of a good old sibling rivalry in this one. That, that we have this view that we are not as good. There's so many situations like this. And then I start to see others as blessed or privileged or advantaged. And then I feel helpless and jealous and bitter. And then everything else is against me and people are ignoring me and things are hard. One more must be seen as. This one shows, often, shows up most often in the work environment, specifically with the boss. So I need to be seen as hardworking. I have all these ideas in my mind of who I am, but then when they don't start to see me that way, it starts to have negative effects, and I feel threatened. I'm judgmental. I become anxious and needy and overwhelmed, and everyone's watching me. Everyone's judging me, and insecurities are constantly flaring up, and I'm just striving. Do you see how these things can actually change the way we interact with other people? Each of these boxes makes life about me. Each of these boxes makes life about us. Men handing women divorce certificates with zero grounds was making life about them, relating to the, their wives in an I-it way that put them above their wives, trampling on the goodness of how God created us to be relationally, to commit to one another. How well do your relationships go when you make them about you? Only about what you are or are not getting. One more time, what relationships are coming to mind right now? I'm going to wrap up here. A sign of being open to this God, this God who is pursuing us 
in relationship, this God that Jesus said is, is, if we believe it, that he is more kind and generous and loving and committed than we will ever realize. When we open up ourselves to this kind of a creator and we're connected to that, we start to look at all of our social connections differently. It's not just about what I get, what am I deserving of, what's my benefit in this, but I actually start to ask questions of how do I love better? How do I give more? What can I offer other people? It's a completely different mindset than our cultural waters that we swim in. So if we want better relationships, what's something we can do? Paul quotes Jesus in Acts, and he says that it is better to give than to receive. And I would say that's a test. Have we put that to the test that when we feel like we are outweighed in a relationship, when we feel like it's unfair, when we feel like it's hard, when we feel like we're not getting everything that we're putting into it, what if it's actually better to give than to receive? What if it is better for both me and the other person? What if it's better for both you and the person that you're having a challenging relationship with right now? And we can look at this a few different ways. One is just to say that that's wrong. My life is about me. It's about my gain and my success. Why would I try this? And then I think there's actually good people, good moral people, good church-going people that would look at this and be like, yeah, that's a great ideal, but I, that's, that's dumb. That's challenging. Why would I do that? But Jesus is actually inviting us that if we want real life, if we want real meaning, if we want real relationships, that it is better to give than to receive. So in your relationships right now, those that you would, again, born into or bought into, meaning that you've committed to them, family, spouses, dating relationships, your best friend, this is one as people of Jesus that I feel like we have been called to, to press into. What box do you find yourself in that is opposing that relationship? I think another area that comes up is areas that we're called to serve. If we are open to the life that God is calling us to, our heart will break for a certain person. It will break for a certain passion. We will start to serve, and at some point, you're going to feel underappreciated. At some point, you're going to be like, why do they not appreciate everything that I am doing for them? What if that's the time to press in more? What if that's the time to give yourself away more? And then third, another way I think this shows up oftentimes is in church. We'll use Midtown for an example. In our church culture, this shows up a lot. And it is a hard one, and there's a balance to it. If it hasn't happened already, Midtown is going to disappoint you at some point. I'm going to let you down at some point. Someone else is going to fall short of your expectations. You're going to see yourself as better than someone else. But is that the time for us to press in more? Is that the time for us to pick up the phone and encourage someone? Is that the time to grow in our generosity? Is it better to give than it is to receive? And if I think we take Jesus at his words, we will see more flourishing relationships happen from this. It is highly countercultural. May we have the honesty and the courage to do what our homes, our workplaces, and our communities most need to see all as people, even and perhaps especially when others are giving you a reason not to. And to press in relationally, even when it may not feel fair, even when it may not feel advantageous, it may even feel uncomfortable. Because isn't that our God? Believe that transformation happens most 
when we press into the hard things, the things that benefit someone over us.